1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tugged, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Well, imagine coming to church this morning. You've dressed up a bit. You've got your Bible ready. You're ready to sing. You're ready to hear from God's Word. You're ready to, to meet some of your friends and perhaps a, a few new people at church. Maybe you have even prepared your kids by reminding them to listen to their Sunday school teacher and try to remember something that they've learned from church this morning. And you get to church and everything seems fine. You, know, they're, they're, you walk in, you, you notice that there's no one at the door to, to greet you, but maybe they're just busy, so you, you take your seat. And, and the service soon begins. But when the service leader goes up on stage, you, you can't really hear him too well. It, it seems like the, the mic isn't on and you try your hardest not to turn back to the sound booth to draw attention to them. But instead, you just try to listen harder. It's probably a good thing that you can't hear the man behind the pulpit too well because it seems like he said that there are no church events going on this summer. Surely you, you must have misheard and you make a, a mental note to, to double check on that later on. Then you, you sing a few songs. Again, the, the music team seems to, to be a, a bit muted. The guitarist seems to be strumming a little harder to project the volume of his instrument. But maybe the, the AV team is just having some, some technical difficulties. You just keep on singing your heart out to the Lord. And then a pastor goes up and prays. The mics still aren't working at this point. And then the preacher comes up to, to preach and, and you can hear him better, but it seems like he's got a, a makeshift, you know, battery pack uh, mic on. You know, one of those that teachers sometimes use to corral children uh, at school. You just, you just accept it. Maybe it's the best that he could figure out in a pinch. After he finishes the sermon, he reminds everyone that there is communion today. But suddenly he pauses and kind of awkwardly says, um... Actually, we'll be observing communion my, next week. My mistake. And you look at the altar table in the front of the sanctuary, and you notice that the elements aren't there. It's the first week of the month when you normally observe communion, but maybe there was a schedule change. Oh, well, okay. The service ends. <clears throat> you talk to some friends. You meet a new visitor. Then you head over to get some refreshments. But there are none. And this is where the chaos begins. <laughs> Children have confused looks on their faces. 
a brother who has fought to stay alert during the sermon all morning. You, you, you find him on his phone with a DoorDash app open ordering fills to be delivered. Little kids are, are starting to whine because they, they want a snack and parents are a bit frazzled. You hear one saying apologetically, we didn't bring anything, sorry. We thought there would be applesauce. Then you hear parents saying that none of the Sunday school classes for kids seem to have teachers, the chairs, and all the rooms are kind of scattered about. Something just seems really off. And Sunday morning church seems like church, kind of, but, but not really. It doesn't feel like a normal Sunday morning. And, and catching a glimpse of one of the pastors, you, you stop and ask, what happened with the sound this morning? Did you know that there aren't any stacks? And is there still Sunday school today? And the, and the pastor just puts up his hands and says, Sorry, our deacons went on strike this morning. <laughs> now, this is the stuff of pastoral nightmares, okay? At least mine. And so much of the, the ministry of our church not only on Sundays, but beyond, is predicated upon the faithful service of our deacons. From hospitality, to to sound, to communion preparation, to setup, to refreshments, and children's ministry programming, to to a host of other things. Our deacons have ensured over the years that the ministry of our church runs as it should. And, And I'm confident that our deacons would never go on strike, but But if they did, our church just wouldn't be the same. And that's because deacons are an extremely valuable group of servants in the church. Yet sometimes they can be overlooked. They're kind of like energy cards in a Pokemon deck. Or maybe buttons on a shirt. You don't always notice them. But without them, things can go terribly wrong. This morning, I want you to realize that The ministry of deacons is vital to the health of the church. The work of deacons, the work that they do is essential to the healthy functioning of a church. And the kind of work that they do is the kind of work that everyone in our church can and and should try to emulate. As we continue on in our mini-series in 1 Timothy 3 on the nature of the church and its leadership, today we're going to focus on verses 8 through 13, and the topic of deacons. And what I want to do as we consider the vital ministry of deacons is answer four questions. Okay, what does a deacon do, number one? Number two, what, who must a deacon be? Number three, why should a deacon serve? And fourthly, how should a deacon serve? So this morning, we'll, we'll discover the what, who, why, and how of deacons with the goal of encouraging you all to see the importance of this office in the church and to personally embrace the work that the deacons are meant to do. First, what what does a deacon do? What does a deacon do? Let's consider the ministry of deacons, the, the ministry of deacons. In verse 8, Paul begins this section of his letter by writing, Deacons likewise. And, and that word likewise sets deacons apart from the elders that Paul wrote about in verses 1 to 7, which we looked at last week. 
And the word deacon or diakonos in Greek means someone who serves. It's a word used throughout the New Testament, but it's only here in 1 Timothy and a couple other places like Romans 16.1 and Philippians 1.1, where it refers specifically to the office of deacons in the church. In Philippians 1.1, as Paul writes to the church there, he addresses his letter to all the saints with the overseers and deacons. So Paul recognized that there was the, the general congregation of believers in the church in Philippi, along with those who had been designated to be officers of the church as overseers or elders, and also as deacons. Now, while the office of deacon is clearly established in the Bible, the specific duties of, of those serving in the office aren't clearly defined. But what we do have is a passage that gives us a good idea of what deacons were meant to do. That passage is Acts chapter 6. And so I want you all to turn with me there in your Bibles. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, provides us with an account of seven men from the church of Jerusalem who were the predecessors of official deacons that would be appointed later in the church's in the New Testament. And this passage in Acts 6 provides us with some principles for how we should think through the ministry of deacons. Look with me at verse 1 of that chapter. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let's stop here. Okay, notice that this is relatively early in church history. And the church is growing. It says the disciples were increasing in number. But something was happening that threatened the unity of the church. The Hellenists, or the Greek-influenced and Greek-speaking believers, noticed that the Jewish-speaking Hebrews were neglecting their widows in the daily food distribution ministry of the church. And they started complaining about it. So Greek-speaking and Jewish-speaking believers were starting to take sides. And so the 12 apostles addressed the issue. And verse 2 says, And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Okay, so because of a growing church, and because unity was being threatened in the church, the leaders of the church, the 12 apostles, instructed the church in Jerusalem to appoint seven respected men to help deal with the issue of certain widows who were being neglected. The reason the 12 didn't do this themselves was because this would have kept them from preaching the word. They deemed it better for themselves to focus on praying and ministering God's word and allow another group to serve tables. Now, Nowhere in this passage in Acts 6 do we find the word deacon. 
But this passage gives us an early example of how the office of deacon likely came to be established, and it gives us an indication of what deacons were meant to do. The twelve were like the elders of the church in Jerusalem, and the seven were like early deacons. These offices were still in the process of being established, but by the time Paul wrote 1 Timothy, they were already recognized by the church. And from Acts 6, we learn that these proto-deacons were set apart to serve for a number of specific reasons. First, the church was growing. Second, there was an issue of unity. And third, the shepherds of the church would be drawn away from ministering God's word and praying if they took on the task of resolving the issue before them. So what we can take away from Acts 6 is that the, the ministry of deacons should reflect the ministry of these seven men. Deacons should serve when there is a need, especially in growing churches. They should be able and inclined toward pursuing the unity of the body of Christ. And they should have the attitude of being initiative takers who are able to resolve problems on their own. They're the kind of people that help ease the burden of ministry in a church, specifically assisting the primary shepherds of a church so that they can be free to minister God's word and lead God's people in prayer. Sometimes churches get confused over the role of, of deacons because their duties aren't explicitly stated in the Bible. Instead, they're implied. And the implications from Acts 6 should help us to see that the deacons aren't mini-pastors. They aren't elders. Some churches treat deacons this way. And while some deacons may eventually become elders in the church, the role of a deacon is different. It's primarily a role of service not a role of authority. It's a role that focuses more on supporting than on teaching. Deacons also aren't just glorified handymen or awesome administrators. They aren't just men or women who are good at fixing things or organizing people and events. Uh, There's an important difference between a deacon who unclogs the toilets and the plumber you can find on Yelp. There's a difference between a deacon who helps to plan a wedding for church members and a and a wedding planner that you might hire from an Instagram wreck. But the, but the plumber and the wedding planner, or both the plumber and the wedding planner, might really desire to help you with your needs, but they do so primarily to make money. And while it's not prohibited for the church to pay deacons for that kind of work, deacons should primarily do it, whether paid or not, for the unity and building up of God's church. They need to be mature believers who care deeply about the church. And so even though the duties of deacons aren't well defined in Scripture, we can still gather something about their ministry from Acts 6. Deacons are meant to be leading servants, identified to help address needs in a church who are known for pursuing unity and having a heart to assist the elders of the church. Now after that, I think there's a lot of flexibility in how deacons carry out their ministry. Some might focus on serving tables and meeting physical needs. Others might organize ministries. Some might take care of a church's facilities or handle the church's money. There's an abundance of ways in which deacons can serve, and that's why you see churches using deacons in different ways. The number of deacons can also change based on church's size and needs. In Acts 6, the the proto-deacons were called into duty because the number of disciples was increasing. Deacons were needed because the young church was growing. 
Now, in 1 Timothy, you have Paul writing to Timothy, who was pastoring the church in Ephesus. And that was a well-established church of the, at the time. It was a well-established church in an important city that was very influential in Asia Minor. And they already had elders in place and seemed to have deacons as well when Paul wrote his letter. Uh, they were probably a, a larger church with a number of needs that deacons were able to help address. Now, on the other hand, if you were to read Paul's letter to Titus, he doesn't mention anything about deacons there. Titus's main task was to put elders in charge of what seemed to be young churches on the island of Crete. And so it seems that Paul doesn't discuss deacons in his letter to Titus because he needed first to establish elders. That's the most important thing for a new church. Deacons can be ordained later as a church and its needs grow. One of the implications of this is that the office of deacon is a flexible one that can and should be adapted to the specific needs of each particular church. One other implication of this is that elders are not exempt from diaconal work. Elders are meant to serve in a variety of ways and to promote the unity of the church as well. And on Crete, the early elders likely had to do a bit of everything. They had to pray and preach and do deacon work. An elder's attitude should never be, I'm not going to do that. That's the work of a deacon. No, elders should be willing to serve like deacons. But because of a church's growing needs, elders should also be wise enough to call deacons to bear the burdens of ministry in order that they might shepherd a church more effectively through their primary ministry of the word and prayer. So what does a deacon do? What is the ministry of a deacon? Well, a deacon is a leading servant known for pursuing unity, identified to help address the needs of a church in order to bear the burdens of the elders of the church. And he, can, he or she can do this in a number of ways, depending on the particular situation of a church. A deacon need not be tied to a specific ministry. They can be. But they really should be flexible enough to do what the church needs. At our church, we expect our deacons to, to be faithful church members. We expect them to serve excellently in various ministries. We expect them to attend occasionally uh, meetings to learn of needs, issues, and priorities in the church to help maintain the unity of the church. We ask them to look out for issues in the church that need to be addressed to communicate needs and issues to the elders and other deacons. We ask them to lead or participate on special task force teams at times when, when a need arises to come up with a specific solution to issues in the church. And finally, we expect our deacons to fulfill the biblical qualifications of a deacon. And that leads us to our next answer. Okay, what does a deacon do? Well, we just discussed the ministry of deacons. Next, who must a deacon be? Who must a deacon be? We'll answer this by considering the marks of deacons, which, is found, which are found in verses 8 to 12 of this passage. The marks of deacons. Now, there's quite a bit of overlap in these verses with what we looked at last time when we learned about elders. But let's review what Paul has written. First, a deacon must be marked by personal character. A deacon must be marked by personal character. In verse 8, Paul writes that deacons must be dignified. 
They should be serious-minded and respected in the way that they carry themselves. It's not that a deacon can't laugh and can't have a great sense of humor, but a deacon is more of a congressman than a clown. He is reputable and esteemed, reputable and esteemed. A deacon is also not double-tongued. He isn't someone who says one thing to one person and another thing to someone else. He doesn't manipulate people or deceive with his words. He is sincere in his speech. He honors his commitment. And a deacon is not addicted to much wine. Like, like elders, a deacon isn't known for drinking alcohol. It's not that he can't. It's just that he isn't associated with that kind of behavior because it often shows lack of self-control and clear thinking. And a deacon is not greedy for dishonest gain. He's content. He isn't trying to cut corners to save money, fast track his way to make money, because deacons often handle money in the church as they carry out various ministries or even provide for the needs of the needy. It's imperative that deacons not be greedy. Better to have a deacon who is generous and makes some honest mistakes than a deacon who is greedy and shamefully sins against others and God. These four characteristics all speak to a deacon's personal character. He must be dignified and sincere and sober-minded and content. But that's not all a deacon should be marked by. A deacon should also be marked by spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. We see this in verses 9 to 10. Paul writes that they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, the mystery of the faith here is the mystery of the gospel that was revealed through Christ. At the end of the Old Testament, the million-dollar question was still, how can God's people be reconciled to him? How can there be permanent forgiveness of sins? And when Jesus came to live and to die for our sins, and when he rose from the dead, that mystery was revealed. So a deacon must hold to the basic tenets of the gospel message. He must firmly believe the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Deacons don't need to have the same kind of doctrinal knowledge that elders do. In verse 2, we saw that elders must be able to teach. They have to be able to give sound instruction and also rebuke those who contradict it. Deacons don't have this same requirement. Elders need to have a deeper level of doctrinal understanding and conviction, but a deacon should still be able to clearly explain the gospel. Deacons are also often called into teaching of some kind in the church. As deacons serve, opportunities to minister God's word in various settings arise. Teaching isn't a requirement, but it's often a byproduct of, of doing the kind of work that deacons do. Okay, so deacons must know the basics of the Christian faith, and they must live out their faith. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The genuineness of a deacon's conviction should be seen in the godliness of his life. Okay, then a deacon must be tested before they serve. They must be tested. This testing is the ongoing assessment of one's service in the church. The office of deacon isn't one that is meant to get people with great potential started in ministry. It's for proven servants. It is for people who have already shown that they love the church and they work for its unity and they're able to solve problems in an effective way that honors the Lord. In other words, you, you have to be a deacon before being called a deacon. Right? And, and this implies that could, there can be many in the church that are tested and deacon qualified, but aren't officially deacons. At our church, we have the luxury of having many brothers and sisters who I think have been tested and could serve 
on our deacon board, but because the family situations or our church needs at the moment or even just giving others an opportunity to serve, they aren't officially on our diaconate. And that's a healthy situation for the church to be in. As an elder, I feel blessed to be able to ask myself, which deacons should we have serve instead of, can we find any deacons to serve? That determination is based not only on our potential candidates' qualifications, but also on their life stage and on our needs as a church and the current makeup of our diaconate group. Finally, deacons are to serve if they prove themselves blameless. And this is an overarching requirement that was mentioned for elders as well. Like elders, deacons are to be above reproach. Not perfect, but not worthy of any blame in what people can readily observe about their character. Okay, so deacons must be marked by personal character and spiritual maturity. They also must be marked by relational faithfulness. Relational faithfulness. Let's, let's skip verse 11 for a moment and look at verse 12. Paul, Paul writes, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. And that's the fra- same phrase that Paul used when he wrote about elders in verse 2. It's literally translated a one-woman man. It means being a man who is faithful to one woman. And I won't repeat all I, I said about this last week. But in summary, married deacons are to be devoted to their spouse and known for their commitment to the covenant of marriage. If unmarried, deacons are to be pure in their relationships with the opposite sex. And deacons must also manage their children in their own households well, it says in verse 12. A deacon often has to manage people and various tasks in the church, and so his ability to manage his children and other people or things happening in the home is vital to his fitness for the office of deacon. And you'll notice while the same requirement is mentioned for elders in verse 4, Paul doesn't include anything like verse 5 for deacons in this section. He doesn't mention that deacons are to care for God's church like he does for elders. Again, because these are two different offices. Elders are called to lead and teach and model the faith. They're called to pastor and shepherd God's flock. But that's not the primary responsibility of deacons. They should still demonstrate management skills in the home because of the management needs of the church. And while they can help to care for God's people, just like they can help to teach, they aren't meant to replace the vital shepherding and teaching work of the elders of God's church. Deacons should be marked by relational faithfulness. They're to be marked by personal character, spiritual maturity, relational faithfulness. Finally, they can be either male or female. I couldn't think of a better phrase, but deacons are to be marked by either male or female. Deacons are to be marked by either male or female. Now, what I mean by this is that the office of deacon is open to both men and women. And we see this in verse 11. Now, now the English version that we use translates the first Greek word, gynaikos. The first Greek word of that verse is wife. And that's one way of translating the word. It makes sense in the context. This is a section that's talking about deacons. And so it makes sense for Paul to talk about the wives of male deacons. It makes sense that he would also want deacons to to be, or deacon wives, I should say, to be dignified and not double-tongued or slanderers and not addicted to wine or sober-minded and and faithful in all things, which is kind of a catch-all phrase. In essence, Paul could be saying that it's not just deacons that need to be qualified in order to serve 
in the church, but their wives must also be qualified in some sense for them to be able to serve, perhaps because deacons' wives are often such a critical part of one's diaconal ministry. And and many Christians read the the verse this way in, in verse 11. However, there's a footnote in verse 11 of the ESV that says, or wives likewise, or women likewise. And that footnote tells us a couple things. First, it tells us that the word there, T-H-E-I-R, isn't in the Greek text. It has to be supplied by translators. And that's why the footnote says verse 11 could also just be translated wives likewise. Second, this footnote tells us that this verse could be translated women likewise as well. And that's what some English translations like the New American Standard or the Legacy Standard Bible have. And I think that's a better way of reading this verse. I believe that Paul is talking about women, not just deacon wives here. Well, first, if Paul was talking about deacon wives, it's really strange that he wouldn't also make mention of what elder wives should be like in the first part of the chapter. That's a pretty glaring absence. Second, as as hinted at in that footnote, there is no possessive there in verse 11. If, If Paul wanted to specify that he was indeed writing about deacons' wives, he could have easily and more clearly indicated that. He could have said their women or their wives. Third, the nature of the office of deacon doesn't preclude women from holding it. Now, elders are meant to teach and and to lead or exercise authority in the church. And, And Paul explicitly warned women from doing those kinds of things over the men at the end of chapter 2. But the role of a deacon is primarily one of serving and and helping and assisting. Roles that are very suited to God's original creation design for women from the beginning. And fourth, if you go to Romans 16.1, you will find there that a woman, Phoebe, a sister, was referred to as a servant or better translated there, deacon, of the church of Cancrea. That word that is translated servant in the ESV is literally diakonos. And though it could possibly be translated to mean a general servant in the church, it's more likely that Paul is actually calling her an official deacon of the church. His, his specific mention of the church in Cancrea to which Phoebe belonged tells us that she wasn't just a person in the church who served, but rather a recognized servant of that church. So while good Christians disagree on the exact translation of verse 11 in 1 Timothy 3, I believe that Paul is referring to women and not just wives of deacons. And with no clear prohibition in the Bible against women serving as deacons like there are for for elders, our church believes that it's appropriate to appoint both male and female deacons who can also be referred to as deaconesses. So who must a deacon be? Deacons are to be marked by personal character, spiritual maturity, relational faithfulness, and by either gender. Unlike elders, they can be male or female. Those are the marks of deacons. Third, let's answer the question, why should a deacon serve? We've considered the, the what of deacons, their ministry. We've looked at the who of deacons, their marks. Now let's think about the why of deacons. And in order to do that, let's consider their motivations. Their motivation. Or their motivation. These last two answers will go much quicker. Okay, the motivation for deacons. Uh, diaconal work is often hard. 
It's often behind the scenes and thankless, but it's worthwhile work. Why? Well, we find the motivation of deacons in verse 13. What should motivate deacons to serve? Well, first, they, they gain a good standing for themselves if they serve well. This means that they gain respect in the church. You know, I think when any of us notices a deacon doing deacon work well, we, we all think, okay, he or she's legit. You know, they're, they're really capable, they love God, and, and they love the church. Uh, but more than just cred with other brothers and sisters, a, a faithful deacon gains treasures in heaven. There, there's a heavenly wor- reward that we're all able to work toward. And, and deacons have a unique opportunity to earn those, those eternal brownie points. So, so deacons gain great confidence or gain a good standing for themselves if they serve well. Second, they gain great confidence in their faith. As you grow in spiritual service, you tend to grow in Christian confidence. Your, your assurance increases. The kind of work that deacons do week in and week out, whether it's sending emails, following up with people, visiting people, working on spreadsheets, running errands for the church, handing complaints, helping the needy, researching policies— running cables, you name it. The kind of work that deacons do is not in vain. When done well, it is rewarding work. Not in the sense of monetary gain, but in the sense of respect in the eyes of others and in the eyes of God. And in the sense of confidence that you gain for yourself from having been a faithful servant of the Lord. Now, now some of you might be thinking, I want that good standing. I want that confidence. How can I become a deacon? I would just say, don't focus too much on pursuing the office of deacon. Instead, pursue becoming the kind of person that deacon should be and pursue the work that deacons do. Be a problem solver and a unity builder as you serve in various ways in the church. And whether or not the church ever calls you to become a deacon, trust that you too will gain good standing with others and with God and and great confidence in your faith as you serve the Lord. That's the why of deacons. Okay, finally, I want us to consider one final question. How should a deacon serve? How should a deacon serve? And to answer that, we need to look at the model for deacons. The model for deacons. And I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. This is where we're going to end. Okay, Mark chapter 10, verses 43 to 45. Mark chapter 10, verses 43 to 45. Let's look at what Jesus said in verse 43. As he was dealing with a a worldly attitude of seeking authority and lording it over others that had crept into his disciples, he told them in Mark 10, 43, but it shall not be so among you. Instead, he said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, diakonos or deacon, And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. Deacons are fundamentally those who serve. And that's because they have been saved by the one who came to serve. Jesus came to sacrifice himself so that we might be unified as God's people. And Jesus came to be a deacon in order that we might one day be deacons for him and for his church. On the night before his death, he, he washed the feet of his disciples as a servant, as a, as a deacon. 
Even as he anticipated the horrors of the cross, he took time to serve others around him in the humblest ways. So too, deacons in God's church are meant to serve in a sacrifice of themselves as an extension of the servant ministry of Christ for the sake of God's people. They are meant to reflect Christ in that way. We should deacon. We should serve because Christ first served us. And I love what, what Matt Smethurst has written about this. He writes, So deacon, lift your eyes from the mundane to the Messiah. See him touching unclean hands and washing filthy feet and serving ungrateful sinners and finally relinquishing his life for those who he loves. The entire shape of diaconal service finds its model and its mission in the life of our Savior. Your current role as a deacon is just an internship for an eternal future in which you will see his faith together with all his servants, world without end. So in a few moments, as you leave this sanctuary, I hope you all go out and enjoy some snacks. They should be there. Enjoy Sunday school for your children. Peruse the books on our on our book cart, sign up for our church retreat, consider some of the other events that are happening at Redeemer this summer. And maybe find a deacon and say thanks. Encourage them to keep on serving well. But let's all do the work of deacons together as we follow the example of our Lord so that we can help to build and strengthen the church which he deaconed so well that he even gave up his life for. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for the ways that you organize your church. You don't just provide leaders and shepherds and teachers, but you have also ordained that we would have leading servants, that we would have models for, for how we should, we should pursue you and love other brothers and the sisters in the church and and really sacrifice of, of ourselves for the building up of the body of Christ. We do ask once again that you would help our deacons to be faithful in the work that you have called them to do. And, and we really pray that you would make our, our, our church a, a church full of deacons, full of brothers and sisters that, that are humble in their service, that, that love the unity of the church, that are problem solvers, that are sacrificial, and, the desire, and who desire to follow in the steps of your Son, in whose name we pray.